Today, we are, this is, this is a moment here, okay? We are moving to the second takeaway for the semester. Uh, yeah, enthusiasm. Thousands of you still not applauding. We, we're moving to the second takeaway. Uh, when you are irritated or bothered by things at church, right, Consider just the possibility that, that there are multiple causes for that effect, right? But consider the possibility that sometimes one of those causes may be that other people are violating your church of origin rules. Uh, I'm, I'm looking around here and, and see if, uh, you know, we've got two or three folks uh, that have more, more recently been in a youth group than, than most of us, right? <laughs> and, and I think about how my own kids and how their church of origin rules, there's some overlap on the Venn diagram of their church of origin experience and my church of origin experience. There's some overlap, but there's some significant difference there as well, right? But each of us who grew up uh, in, a, in a church setting, uh, have some, uh, we have some sort of, uh, you know, model in our mind for how church is based on the experiences that we had, and in particular, the experiences that we had during those, uh, those formative years. There's a, there's a similar principle to this that I talk with my students about all the time. Uh, if, if you've not been in class on a day that we've introduced ourselves, uh, what I do is I train marriage and family therapists. I teach in a master's program for folks who are pursuing that career. And one of the things we talk a lot about are what we call person of the therapist issues, right? Those, those things that go into making you who you are as a person that may sometimes come out when you're trying to help someone else. And we talk a lot about trying to be aware of those things so that we're not binding our rules from our own families of origin, from our own experiences, onto our clients. You know, it's, it's, it's impossible that, you know, we, as, as human beings, we, we have a context, and it's impossible to go into a helping relationship without bringing that context with you. But it's still important to be aware of it. I uh, often will tell my students this, this story. Many years ago, I was sitting with a client who, uh, most of my clients, uh, I've been fortunate over my career, most of my clients have come willingly, right? But every so often, I had a client that was sent to see me, which is typically a harder way to start there. Uh, and uh, some of you who are therapists uh, uh, may, may understand what I'm describing there. And, and this young man was sent to see me because he had violated a, a school rule about the possession of drugs uh, on campus. We, we frown on that. It's against the rule. And um, he explained to me how it was everybody else's fault. You know, it was the 
uh, resident assistant's fault for coming in his room, right? <laughs> it was the dean of students' fault for enforcing these dumb rules. It was the, you know, the university as a whole's fault for having the rules in the first place. And I noticed uh, an irritation in myself. Right? I noticed myself getting getting bothered, and it wasn't the drugs, because I've, I've, you know, I mean, you can't work in mental health without working with substance use, right? It, it occurred to me, upon reflection, that what was happening in that moment for me was this individual is not taking it, what in my mind is sufficient responsibility. And in my family of origin, that's a thing. You, you take care of, you, respond, you take responsibility for it. And so what was happening was, this other person who'd been sent to see me had the gall, George, to violate my family of origin rule. And I had to notice that in myself. And kind of be curious about that myself in order not to act out of that, right? And speak out of that and, and remain open to him as, a, as an individual. So that's how powerful certainly these things can be. Uh, as another example, anyone in here who's married understands this same principle, right? Your partner does a thing or their family does a thing that is foreign to you. It's outside of your experience. And it's not necessarily that they do it wrong, but they do it wrong compared to how your family did it. Right? Because you came from family A and they came from family B and what you've created now in a marriage is family C. It has flavors of A and B, but it's not a repeat of either of those things, right? And yet the influence of those experiences that you brought into the marriage certainly uh, still, still show up. So uh, that's, that's where we are here, sort of taking that same principle and thinking about it more specifically in a church context. A uh, quick reminder from last week, we looked at the story of the prodigal son, and we primarily looked at it last week from the perspective of the younger son, and we talked about how he lacked insight <coughs> until he came to a point where Scripture says that, that, that he came to his senses in some uh, readings of Scripture, other readings of Scripture, he came to himself, right? But he came to this moment of insight where he had a deeper understanding of himself, of the impact of his actions on others, uh, he had a deeper level of understanding. We did not, however, talk about the other son, who also, in his own way, lacked important insight. And so George is going to lead us in some thoughts about that. <coughs> So the parable is called, the, we traditionally call it, uh, the prodigal son. And it's fun to ask students what the word prodigal means and to use it in a sentence. They say, well, I, I read the prodigal son. That's a sentence they can come up with. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I gave my son an allowance and he said, 
in a prodigal way or something, you know, it means wasteful. And it really highlights the, the younger son part of the, the parable. But if you look at the setting of the parable, it, it really should be, I think, the parable of two lost sons, hmm. not just one. So that's, I, I think you kind of have to have. Now, the, I understand why the prodigal son part of the parable is, is legit famous. I mean, it's a great story of grace and, and all that kind of thing. But, but there's also that, that, that older son that must be part of it. And that's what came to me as I was listening to the classes. Yeah. And, and this parable is, I think there's some, some profitable things for us to think about here of how this elder son reacts. Yeah. And so, what is it about when we react to things? What's going on there? Okay. So, um, he in Luke 15, there's three lost things. There's a, a sheep and a coin, and then uh, two sons. I'm going to claim. I guess that doesn't fit the pattern of only one being lost. I'm thinking out loud now. <laughs> anyway, let's let's bracket that. I shouldn't have said that out loud. <laughs> Uh, the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners. And not just welcomes them, but he's also eating with them. And in the ancient world, as in our world, when you eat with somebody, it raises the level of fellowship. Uh, if you ever had people over for dinner or gone out to eat, it, it, raises, it raises the communal sense of feeling. And so he is, Jesus is... And we, and we know this, he's, he's famous for including people at his table that other people have excluded. And so his view of purity is not, I need to protect my purity by disassociating myself from the impure, but my purity is, is something I can pass on to other people. Not that he's approving of sinful lifestyles, but he's, he's willing to see his table as including all, all these types of people that the Pharisees and teachers of the law are saying should not include. Okay, so it, this really struck me the last time I was working through this, this theme of, of a party. Uh, I guess this is supposed, we're supposed to be having fun. This, you know, that's that's kind of news to me. I don't think of this, <laughs> I don't think of my church as something I do for fun. But, but I guess maybe if I thought about it more, it that would, there would be some truth to that. But maybe my church of origin rules or something like that. <laughs> like, this should not be fun. <laughs> if it's fun, you might be doing it wrong. Uh, but, um, so let's try, we're trying to have fun. Okay, I think that's, there's, there's party going on in each of these parables. So the, the lost sheep, when the shepherd finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home, calls his friends and neighbors and says, Rejoice, let's have a party, I found my lost sheep. Now, uh, verse 7 I would like for you to think about and help me with, because I think I might disagree with it, which I know I'm not allowed to do, so i got to figure this out. I'm a bunch of doesn't think church should be fun. Yeah. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents and over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. So the shepherd leaves 99 mm. sheep in the open country, he says, and then he goes to find the lost sheep. And then there's more rejoicing over finding the lost sheep than 99 people who don't 
See, I'm, I think I'm most self with one of the 99, I guess. I'm like, why? Shouldn't there be some rejoicing over people who don't need to be found? We love a comeback. <laughs> we love a comeback story. But isn't there a psychological piece of like the sense of loss and recovery that comes from that when you think you lost something and then it comes back? Dave? Yes. <laughs> yes, there is. I wanted to go away from the Bible. No, no, yes. Anytime you need to go away from the Bible, come to this side. I want to make sure you're paying attention. Yes. That, that would explain maybe this, although I'm thinking of it more theologically. Like, shouldn't, shouldn't the people that don't need to be found have some joy? As well? Shouldn't there be a joy as well? Yeah. Do you ever consider maybe you've already been rejoiced over them? Or you the one that was lost in the Yeah. That's true. That may show a problem with my life. So, uh, in my church of origin biases, I would say, are there 99 righteous people that do not lose the conviction of the people? I know, that's the problem I have. It's like, aren't we always needing to repent about something? All, the rest of us are, but not not George. <laughs> yeah, but they're not as bad as some of the other things. Uh-huh. No, I'm with you. Uh-huh. I'm always, uh-huh. I always read the prodigal. I'm not a prodigal. I'm, yeah. I'm here in the house. I've, I've stayed in the house. I'm not left. Yes. Well, it just makes me think about, you know, the Pharisees were all following the rules. They were all being righteous. Mm-hmm. And that, I don't know if I can express this clearly. Um... And so they were kind of blind to what they needed, to, what, you know, where yeah. they were lost. Yeah. And so there's not a lot of rejoicing that in there. Whereas when you can acknowledge, yeah. what, what, which somebody just said. But, so, but I mean, that's where the sucker punch of the last part of the sun story comes in. Yeah. yeah. Going, All right, yeah, the sun's back. Oh, wait, you're talking about us. We're the jerks. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 I draw an analogy to second sun. To. it in my mind, so my mind canon, I think is the common terminology that we use today, the kids are using today, is I just put the word self in front of righteous. Yeah. So there's 99 self-righteous who don't think they need to repent is, is kind of uh, how I fix it. It's not what it says exactly. But again, it's what it means, not what it says. Hey, George. Uh, let's go here. Yeah. I guess I'm just thinking that if we're thinking of heaven as, as already participating in God's kingdom here in this kind of this side of the veil, those 99 he's referring to are already rejoicing because they're already seen, right? And so it's like this is an added level of, of rejoice yeah, okay. for one that wasn't seeing that side of the veil, which yeah. is the kingdom on earth right now, and now the issue is. Yeah, that's the issue, I think, is that the 99, well, there's, there's already a party. There's supposed to already be a party. Huh. We're already in the party, and now we just have an added, added party. Yeah. 
I think when I read this, I, I see it more as like another story of the upside down of Jesus, of, uh, of things like when he says, blessed are the poor, when nobody used to believe. I, I just think with Jesus, everything's flipped. Mm -hmm. And I think yeah. this is like another way of yeah. that flip of what you would normally think yeah. to what you think. Yeah, he talks about in one of the, one of his sayings about how the, the people from the north, east, south, and west will be at the kingdom and the table, and the people that you think are going to be invited are, are locked out, so it's kind of un unexpected. Well, like when he goes membership. out the street and gets on the floor. Yeah, let's go out. So I think that's a theme throughout yeah. scripture. And there's that parable of the debtors. So he's in Simon the Pharisee's house, and the woman comes in, and he's like, there's two debtors. And one owes a lot more than the other. Neither one can repay it, but you know, so I always ask students, you know, which what size debtor are you? And they always, it's a bad question. It's not the right question to ask. But uh, because ideally, I mean, we think of our, we should think of ourselves as needing to be saved continually. So that that's one of the things that will help us with this particular verse that I want to like. One more. Yeah. yeah. You know, we think of this parable as the you know, prodigal son, the older son. But what about the father here? Mm -hmm. Maybe it should be called the incompetent father or something, you know, because if he, he's thinking, I've not done a very good job, this may be my own stuff, right? but I can imagine him thinking, I've not done a very good job because my, my son took his money and went, and where did I go wrong kind of thing? And then the older son comes in, and that's not what I wanted you to be like either. So, yeah, if I'm that father, I'm going to rejoice too, maybe, because it's like, oh, okay. Maybe things can work out. Oh, just, yeah, just, you know, for my strange mind. I did hear a sermon one time on this that drew out the theme on the on the prodigal son parable of permissive. It was a sermon against permissive parents. And I thought, this is God. I think you're talking about God. You know, uh, I don't know if that's. We should not have given him half. His inheritance early, and he shouldn't have you know, just let him go. He should have gone and found him, and all this. And he shouldn't have brought him back and made him a son again. I mean, maybe he should have made him a servant, not, not a son. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'm struggling with a, a, a theme that I kind of keep hearing coming up here that we should be constantly thinking of ourselves as in need of salvation. It, and I think there's a lot more textual evidence that we should be spending a lot more time partying and rejoicing. And I mean, because because the whole, I mean, one of the major points that, and maybe this is kind of what you're trying to set up here, but, but one of the major points is, at the end, that there's an elder brother who... There's a whole party going on around him, and he's standing off in the corner, ticked off, and missing everything. You know, the, the, the father gets it. He's ready to have the party. Everybody in here is ready to have the party. Um, those 99 righteous persons ought to be rejoicing, too. And, and, and we're kind of, there's, there's this thing that I'm hearing in the room that we should we should feel constantly bad about our state yeah. when what I'm hearing Jesus say is 
there should be more there should be more rejoicing going on yeah. here and feel feel free to rejoice with these people what strike what strikes me about it is I think I don't think of living the right way like loving your neighbor as yourself as a party I think that's what this this parable is revealing about my thinking like do I really think living the right way is the best way to live or am I thinking I'm doing this because it's the way I was raised and I think it's the right thing to do but man I'd really rather be out you know like the, with the prostitutes like the prodigal son <laughs> <laughs> And that's part of my point, because there's nothing in here that says the prodigal son was out with prostitutes. Right. That's right. the brother projecting, and the brother has no way of knowing yeah. whether or not he was that's out right. with prostitutes. That's just the brother telling you what he would have done exactly. if he had gone and done it. <laughs> <laughs> and, and we walk into that, Riotous. It was riotous. Yeah. But, 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 the word, but, that, but that word in Greek is about, I mean, and it's, it's my understanding that's the only time in the Bible that that word is used, but it's a common word in Greek that is basically, this is just somebody who goes and blows through yeah. money. Wasteful, wasteful living. Yeah. Yeah, and that, that's a good point. I, I do think this is a great thing about parables is when you notice those little details, that's with any story. You know, we're going to get beyond maybe what we can know for sure is is going on, but but this is why it's fun to talk about parables. Um, I see a couple hands, but I want us to get, I want us to move from that into, I want us to actually look at the prodigal son, and then we'll come back and, and revisit some of this. Let's get everything on the table. Uh, I just want to mention with the coin, too, there's that, that party language there, rejoicing in the presence of the angels over one sinner who repents. Uh, at least it doesn't mention not rejoicing over the nine coins. <laughs> uh, okay, so uh, I chose, instead of just reading the prodigal son, and, and I know we're, I can tell from the discussion we know the story, but I love this uh, video of it. It's the Lumo Project, and they filmed it over in the Middle East. And it's one of the rare, this is Jesus giving the parable, but then it's also going to try to act out the parable. And so when you... Whenever you do the video version of the Bible, you have to make choices that you know the text doesn't actually say because it's it's just a text. But I love some of the choices they make here, and I love the way the, the Father parties in this video. So uh, the Jesus character. Jesus continued. There was a man who had two sons. There was a man who had. Great thing about the Lumo project, it, it, they do all four Gospels. I'm not sure. Uh, Jesus is speaking Aram, some form of Aramaic or something, some Middle Eastern language, and then it's the voiceover of the actual text of Luke. So this is the actual text of Luke, but they're they're trying to act it out. So, and Jesus doesn't look Swedish like blue-eyed and blonde, which is why I like this. <laughs> two sons the younger one said to his father father give me my share of the estate so he divided his property between them not long after that the youngest son got together all he had set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living after he had spent everything there was a severe famine in that whole country 
and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, "How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death? I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, 'Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants.'" So he got up and went to his father. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, "Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son." But the father said to his servants, "Quick!" Bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile. The older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him, but he answered his father, "Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders." Oh, is that it? <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know. Jesus continued. What's that? The, the final line is on the next slide. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I want us to think about what is the older son's relationship with the father? What what is exposed about his relationship with his father from how he reacts to the, the younger son coming back? So he says, All these years I've been slaving for you, I think that's that's a key detail, and never disobeyed your orders. Maybe an exaggeration. Um, but you never gave me even hot dogs so I could celebrate with my friends and here we were having steak. Um, hot dogs is not the right analogy, unless it's all beef, I guess. Uh, <laughs> for the Jewish context, uh, my, my uh, paraphrase. But when the son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, this is what we talked about, and you kill the fattened calf for him, 
So the father says, you are always with me. Everything I have is yours, but we have to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So you are always with me. Everything I have is yours. So I, I hear the father say, you can have a party. You can be having a party. But you, you didn't choose to do that. So I want to open up to you guys. What, what is... How would you describe the relationship? What is exposed about the relationship of the the elder son and his father? Yeah. It, it, I, I, I'm going to go back culturally at my mother to try to answer the question. <coughs> at the corner of 14 and Jefferson Street, there's a nightclub. And I cost for the nightclub is a problem. And this is the African American community. And there was one that had worked in the problem. And about four blocks from that brothel was Jackson Street Church of Christ, where I worship every Sunday. And one Sunday, a lady who worked at the brothel came forward and came at, at the church for the application of profession that people had put. And there were several other ladies, older women in the church, that knew other ladies' profession. And they mumbled out loud. She had no Christian. All of this. So they did not accept her as coming back. But Brother Gray and the rest of the church rejoiced. So I think this parable teaches us the nature and character of God. That no matter how dirty we get in the mind of sin, there's always a resurrection that we can experience. And coming back, we can be a drug addict. And, and, I, and there was a lady that went here at this church. I don't remember her but she, her life was exempted by the resurrection of Jesus. And she was a friend of my wife. Maybe she didn't follow her. Yolanda? Yes, that's her. That's her. Right. So, in my mind, this is the character of God. No matter how long we go, we can always come back. And when we come back, there's always going to be those, like, some of the older women in the church. And I don't like Yeah. We're going to, they're going to go to the what if the father had been away and just the elder brother was home? <laughs> he would have been. Uh, it would have been a different. It would have felt like coming to church. Sometimes. That's why you don't get to church. You know, why, why is it that we don't see it as a joyful party atmosphere sometimes? Yeah. Just writing off that context that you just gave. What if the son was the one home? How would that story be different? And I think that through an American context. The son would have been generous and said, well, I'll give you a job. Yeah. I'll let you earn it back. I'll let you work for me. I'll let you pull yourself back up by your bootstraps. I'll let you... Um, and I think that that would, would have been the story there. And that's kind of maybe what bothers our American sensibilities, is the fact that there was not, you know, the justice of, well, you know, you made, you made mistakes financially and you're yeah. going to have to pay for those financial mistakes. Yeah, maybe the elder son's upset because I mean the, the younger son took the money and it's gone. And now he's got some responsibilities. Yeah. You know, the question earlier about whether the father the father 
of the vineyard. that was like doing all that bad stuff 
is equal to us in God's eyes. We don't like that. Because we almost, I guess I'm projecting my own thoughts uh -huh. here, but I think of the bad stuff as kind of being like what I would like to do. <laughs> you missed out on Sorry, I'm not, realize, I'm, not, <laughs> I'm not realizing the, where is the party? Where is the real party? And I'm thinking the real party is out there doing all the bad stuff. And the real party is, is uh, playing spades and rook and you know, not going to the bar. But, you know, that, that was my life. It was good. I like playing spades. You know, I like playing rugs. We had a good time with friends. We didn't have to have all the things that the world we do. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I wonder if the older brother can't imagine his father being dead. And so yeah. I, maybe there's jealousy of you were always the favorite. You were always the one. And yeah. it's hard for him to imagine maybe his dad running to him. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and he needs, so he needs to hear these words. Yeah. 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 Uh, I just wanted, and this kind of circles back to the idea of um, do we celebrate or do we like feel, you know, feel our own failings? And I would argue that the older brother, it's his, it's his inability to feel his own failings that prevents him from celebrating. Yeah, he's, you know, he's it's not like aware. when we are free to be broken without shame and receive yeah. love and receive righteousness without having to do, without it being in our own power. It's like, yeah. is righteousness in your power or is it in God's power? Yeah. And when we take that off of off of our plate, it's not in our power to be righteous. Like God, and, you know what I mean? That's a, to, like, that's grace. Yeah. Then we're free to celebrate. Yeah. 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 I've got some friends that have had some situations a little similar to this, maybe a little different, but they, they definitely hit rock bottom. And you know, I was able, I've been able to see how they look from having a bright future, with, you know, getting hit the close to the bottom, and then how that changed their relationship with their family, with their career, their life, their, their spouse, you know, all the things. And so I look at this from a different perspective, and I say, wow. Because the prodigal son got quite a life lesson and probably has more wisdom and will be more thankful for the things he now has and how that's going to change his life moving forward. And that sometimes we don't always get always need to see that. You know, we not always put rock bottom and understand what we're thankful for. And as a parent, not that we can go through that, but you know, maybe you realize, hey, this this could change your life. And I wonder, you know, the, the parable ends without us knowing what the, if the elder brother ever does go into the party. And that kind of is the question that, that finishes with, just go through this whole, because I know that we're out of time. But, um, so God is giving a party, are you going to come? And then, so... You know, this whole thing that we've talked about as far as the content and the process and that being a helpful process as we think about why we react the way we react to things that go on in church. Uh, you know, we don't know the whole situation with what the brother's upset about, all the dynamics, if there's been favoritism or whatever, but there's something underlying his reaction, the transactional nature of, of you know, I've been slaving here all these years. Yeah. And, re and not realizing that this is where the party is. We are having the party right now. You know, it's not last night on Broadway. It's here. This is where the party is. It's hard to believe.
<laughs> I'm speaking for myself now. But yeah, that I think that uh, the content process piece, right? The the brother, the older brother, is speaking examples of content, some of which Brian he probably is projecting what he would have done in that situation. But uh, you know, content, content, content. My younger brother did this, 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 and now he's getting this, right? Without you know sufficient insight into what's happening underneath that for him and kind of as a as a thinking ahead to next week as we as we wrap up here uh, there may be things that people do or say that bother us because they're objectively wrong right i'm not suggesting that's not the case right but then there are other times that there are things that people do or say that bother us not necessarily because they're objectively wrong, but because they violate our subjective rules and what we believe we are entitled to, perhaps, to, to use uh, the word that Chad uh, added to the discussion. Uh, when that occurs, and this is what I want us to talk more about next week, when the, when the latter occurs, where our subjective rules are violated and, and we are bothered by that, one of the things that can really help us, I believe, in responding more graciously and in a more Christ-like way is a process of, of reframing. And I'll just sort of let that hang out there, and we'll talk more about what I mean by that next week. But uh, how, how can we reframe and, and understand differently uh, where people may be coming from, even if it's not where we ourselves have come from, right? Uh, rich discussion. Thank you all so much. George, thank you for leading us through the bulk of that. Uh, we'll see you next week.